0: As we continue on our series of the Belgic Confession of Faith, we turn to Psalm 32 this afternoon. Consider Psalm 32 in connection with Article 23 of our confession. Article 23 tells us of our justification before God and in so doing it makes reference to this Psalm of David. Psalm 32 ties in well with the sermon we heard this morning. This psalm perhaps also like Psalm 51 being written in light of David's coming to repentance. A masculine of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble; you surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go; I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with bitten bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever Let's turn also to Article 23 of our Confession of Faith, page 177 in the Forms and Prayers Books, 177, or page 863 in the back of the Psalter Hymnals, 863 in the back of the Hymnal. Article 23, The Justification of Sinners. We believe that our blessedness lies in the forgiveness of our sins because of Jesus Christ. And that in it our righteousness before God is contained. As David and Paul teach us when they declare that man blessed to whom God grants righteousness apart from works. And the same apostle says that we are justified freely or by grace through redemption in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we cling to this foundation which is firm forever, giving all glory to God, humbling ourselves and recognizing ourselves as we are, not claiming a thing for ourselves or our merits, and leaning and resting only on the obedience of Christ crucified, which is ours when we believe in Him. That is enough to cover all our sins and to make us confident, freeing the conscience from the fear, dread, and terror of God's approach without doing what our first father Adam did, who trembled as he tried to cover himself with fig leaves. In fact, if we had to appear before God relying no matter how little on ourselves or some other creature, then alas, we would be swallowed up. Therefore, everyone must say with David, Lord, Do not enter into judgment with your servants, for before you no living person shall be justified. This the church of Christ does confess and believe throughout the world. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we heard last Sunday about the righteousness that has been made our own by faith alone. We saw how that righteousness is a foreign righteousness, how Martin Luther called it an an alien righteousness, because it's a righteousness that comes from, from outside of us. It's a righteousness that is not natural to us. And because of this glorious reality, we heard the call of the Apostle Paul who said, Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, said Paul, for we have been found in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have been found in Him says Paul not having a righteousness of our own that is based upon the works of the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God and depends on faith. And this says our confession lies at the very heart of our blessedness that all our righteousness is Contained in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom our sins are forgiven. In whom we are justified freely by grace, apart from the works of the law. This truth of our confession is so basic and so essential to the Christian life that that the grounds for our gladness rest in the reality that our transgressions have been forgiven. Our sins have been covered. That God does not count any of our iniquities against us. Here we find the reason for our rejoicing, our sins have been forgiven. This is what God Himself has revealed concerning our salvation. This is what David, by the Spirit of Christ, declares to us here in Psalm 32. And so this is what you and I must learn to confess, not only to the world but also to ourselves. When we ourselves have fallen into sin and we feel as though our joy has been emptied or or taken away, we need to remind ourselves of, of the truths that we confess. We need to rehearse in our minds over and over and over again this core truth of the Christian faith that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, that Jesus Christ came to forgive us all our sins." Gilder de Bray, the author of our confession, clearly had this Psalm of David in mind when he said, we believe that our blessedness lies in the forgiveness of our sins because of Jesus Christ, and that in it our righteousness before God is contained, as David and Paul teach us when they declare, that man blessed to whom God grants righteousness apart from works." The same apostle says that we are justified freely or by grace through redemption in Jesus Christ. Beloved, if we lose sight of this, if we forget this, if we fail to cling to this and, and embrace this truth and faith, then only, the only thing waiting for us is spiritual depression and ultimately hell itself. For the Spirit says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, World may think that they found happiness in their sin, but whatever happiness they think they have is surely going to fade away. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but David shows us here the way to true and supreme happiness. We I mean, recognize, although these words are of course penned by David, they're inspired by the spirit of our Savior. The words of verses 1 and 2 is what the Savior himself declares to us. Blessed, supremely happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed, supremely happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David begins this psalm by telling us how blessed, how happy the people of God really are. For what blessing is is bigger than this blessing of knowing for sure that our sins have been forgiven, that we've been made right with the just judge of the universe. What greater blessing is there than to know that you and I, by faith, have been brought out of the courtroom of God's divine justice, and we've been ushered into the living room of the Father's divine mercy, This, boys and girls, is why King David is so happy, because all of his sins have been forgiven. Notice how David highlights this reality by using three words for sin and three words for forgiveness. In the first place, he speaks of transgressions being forgiven. And transgressions refer to all those deliberate thoughts and actions that are done in defiance against the Lord. Transgressions refer to those deeds that are done with with a raised fist, so to speak. They refer to all those actions that are done in open defiance and rebellion. But David says that all these transgressions have been forgiven. And boys and girls, the word translated as forgiven is a word that can otherwise mean to to lift up or or to carry away. And this is what God has done with all our transgressions. At one time, our transgressions weighed heavily upon us. But God forgave them. He lifted them up and He carried them away. In the second place, David says, blessed are those whose sins are covered. And the word used here for sins is that word that denotes the, the imagery of, of missing the mark or, or of falling short of that goal that God has set for us. But David says that all our shortcomings, all our failures have been covered. They've been concealed. They've been removed from God's sight. As the prophet Micah would say, they've all been cast into the depths of the sea, and they are no more. Satan, of course, would have us to think that God's going to drag those sins back up again, and Satan often does that in our own consciences. He, he brings to the fore those sins from our past that have already been dealt with and forgiven. He wants us to feel the guilt of those sins all over again. But Christ says they're covered. Christ says those sins are concealed. They are removed from God's sight. He doesn't see them anymore. And so you should neither. Finally, David says, Blessed are those to whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And the word translated here is iniquity denotes the imagery of, of going astray or, or deviating from the right path. And here, too, it's not. Hard for us to look back on our lives and see all those times when, when we did just that. When we knew that God said go this way but we went that way. It's not hard for us to think of all the ways in which we've gone rogue in our iniquities. Concerning these kinds of sins Psalm 130 says if you O Lord should mark our iniquities then who of us could stand? And we of course know the answer. No one. If God should keep track of all the times we've deviated from the path, then none of us could stand before him. But what does Christ say at the end of verse 2? He tells us that the Lord does not count our iniquities against us, which is to say he keeps no record of them. In other words, God doesn't just forgive our sins, but he also forgets our sins. He remembers them no more. He treats you and he regards you as though you had never sinned nor been a sinner, as we confess in Lord's Day twenty-three of the Catechism. And by using these three turns of phrase, that God has forgiven transgressions and covered sins and and forgotten iniquities, David is seeking to show us that the Lord doesn't just forgive some of our sins. He doesn't just forgive the so-called little sins, but God forgives all our sins. He forgives the the most serious sins as well. He forgave the sins of King David, his adultery with Bathsheba, his murdering of Uriah. He forgave the sins of the Apostle Peter who denied Christ not just once but three times. He forgave the sins of the Apostle Paul who had dedicated his life to, to persecuting the church. In Luke 7, he said to that sinful woman, your sins are forgiven you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All our transgressions, the Lord forgives. He lifts them up and he carries them away. All our sins, the Lord covers. He blots out of his sight. All our iniquities, he forgets, promising never to bring them up again, to bring an accusation against us. This is what God himself reveals concerning our salvation. This, boys and girls, is what it means to be a Christian, to say, my sins have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. This is why mom and dad read your Bible stories and Bibles on the table to tell you that your sins have been forgiven. And parents, you must tell your children this. When you have disciplined them because of their sins, you ought to tell them your sins are forgiven. The dish as we confess our sins on Sunday morning and hear that assurance of pardon, you too should give your children assurance of pardon. That when they say, I'm sorry, Mom, I'm sorry, Dad, tell them you're forgiven. And Christ has forgiven you that sin as well. This is the grounds for our gladness, the reason for our rejoicing. If we want to be truly blessed, if we want to be truly happy and fulfilled, the Bible says there's only one thing that we really need, and that's the forgiveness of our sins. And this is a need that the Father himself has, has met, has answered in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In him, says the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1-7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that no one can bring a charge against God's elect for it is God who justifies and no one can condemn us since Christ Jesus has died and is interceding for us. You think of the imagery of Zechariah chapter 3 and Satan standing at the right hand of Joshua the high priest to accuse him. To highlight, he's wearing filthy garments. He's fallen short of God's glory. He's a sinner. And what does the Lord say to Satan? The Lord, rebuke you, O Satan. Is not this the brand that I have plucked from the fire? Therefore, says our confession, we cling to this foundation which is firm forever, giving all glory to God, humbling ourselves and recognizing ourselves as we are. We don't come claiming a thing for ourselves or of our merits. We come leaning and resting only on the obedience of Christ crucified, which obedience is ours when we believe in Him. If you want to experience the joy of this great salvation, our confession says that we have to humble ourselves and recognize ourselves as we are. This, you could say, is, is the route to salvation. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. As the Lord's Day 45 teaches us, when we come before the Father, we must do so, acknowledging our needed misery, hiding nothing, and humbling ourselves before his majestic presence. And this is precisely what David has come to learn from himself, isn't it? For we discover in verses 3 and following that there was a time in David's life when, when the joy of his salvation was taken away. There was a time in David's life when he felt as though the Lord was far from him. And David, of course, did not lose his justification. He did not lose his salvation, but he lost the experience of it. He lost the joy of it. He says, when I kept guilty silence, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David confesses there was a time when he tried to hide his sins from God. There was a time when he tried to cover them up himself as Adam and Eve tried to do with their fig leaves in the garden. and Perhaps David is here giving us a window into what we heard this morning of what was really going on in his heart before the prophet Nathan finally rebuked him and brought his sin into the light. Recall that for nine months, the nine months of Bathsheba's pregnancy, David tried to keep his sins a secret. After he slept with Bathsheba, he conveniently had... Uriah killed in battle and then he took Bathsheba to be his wife and what a great job he thought he did at covering his tracks so that no one would know. But now David gives us a window into what was going on in his heart. Because as we heard this morning the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord saw it all. God saw Everything. And now we learn that while David was keeping guilty silence, his bones wasted away. David traces his misery to the source, to his unconfessed sin. and He recognizes now that this misery he was experiencing was in fact the heavy hand of the Lord upon his life. The heavy hand of the Lord caused his strength to dry up. The heavy hand of the Lord caused him to feel like he was a a wilting plant under the scorching heat of a summer sun. This is what God does in our own lives as well, isn't it? There are those seasons we feel as though God is far away. There are those seasons we feel that the heaviness of his hand upon us. And sometimes that's because we're simply neglecting God. Sometimes that's because we're neglecting his word and, and neglecting to pray. But there are other times when we feel the heaviness of God's hand upon our lives because we have unconfessed sins in our lives. The sins that we're still holding on to and not quite ready to, to give up and so we begin to feel the Father's displeasure. But This is often God's way of bringing us to repentance. This was God's way of Of bringing King David to the end of himself to make him see that he had nowhere to hide. As we heard this morning, this God did in His grace. He didn't allow David to remain in His misery and sin. Canons of Dort tell us in Articles 5 and 6 of the fifth head of doctrine that our sins greatly offend God. They deserve the sentence of His death and they grieve the Holy Spirit. They suspend the exercise of faith. They severely wound the conscience. And they sometimes lose the awareness of God's grace and favor. Until after we have returned to the way of genuine repentance and God's fatherly face shines upon us once more. For God, who is rich in mercy, we confess according to his unchangeable purpose of election, does not take his Holy Spirit from his own completely, even when they fall grievously. Neither does he let them fall down so far that they forfeit the grace of adoption, the state of justification, or commit the sin which leads to death, the sin against the Spirit, and plunge themselves entirely forsaken by him into eternal ruin. God brings his people to repentance. This was certainly true for King David, wasn't it? Because what does David say in verse 5? But when I... Acknowledge my sin to you. When I stopped trying to cover up my iniquities. When I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. When we confess our sins. God is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Of all unrighteousness, this is the route to salvation. This is the route to salvation that God sets before us. That when we have sinned, we must look to Him in faith and say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me, for I have sinned. Just as David used three different words for sin and three different words for forgiveness, so too here in verse 5, David uses three different words for confession. David acknowledged his sins. David did not hide his iniquity, and David confessed his transgressions to the Lord. In other words, David is saying that he got completely open and honest with God about all his sins. And when he did that, when he got open and honest with God, when he decided, I'll no longer hide anything from God, when he did that, God did not turn him away. When he did that, God did not cast him out from his presence. But When he did that, God forgave him. You see, congregation, God is not who we often imagine him to be. We often imagine that God is much like us. We easily slip into thinking that God loves us more when we're doing well and that he loves us less when we're doing poorly. And so when we've fallen into sin, Satan leads us to believe that the last thing we should ever do is run to the Lord. Satan would have us believe that if we will do that, God will, will surely yell us out of heaven. And divine anger. And so Satan says, just cover up your sins by yourself. But Satan, we know, is a liar. None of that is true. But what does David say in verses 6 and 7? Does David say that, that this God whom we've sinned against ought never to be approached by us? Does David say when you've sinned against God, run away from God in terror"? not at all. Rather, David says, therefore, therefore, because God is who he is, because our God is a God who forgives sins, who who carries them away, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. In summary, David says, even when you've sinned against him, go to him. Even when you've sinned against him, go to him. For God himself has become our hiding place. David is here Speaking of that which can only be true in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's speaking prophetically. In Christ, our transgressions are forgiven. In Christ, our sins are covered. In Christ, our iniquities are forgotten. Our blessedness, as our confession says, lies in the forgiveness of our sins because of Jesus Christ. And his atoning sacrifice is more than enough, says our confession, to cover all our sins. And to make us confident, freeing the conscience from the fear, dread, and terror of God's approach, Christ has become our hiding place. The Apostle says in Colossians chapter 3, Set your minds on the things that are above where Christ is. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So much so, says Paul, that when Christ to is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Herein lies your justification before God. Christ has become your hiding place. When God sees you, he doesn't see your sins or your shortcomings. He doesn't see your failures or your faithlessness. when God sees you, he sees his only beloved son. Your old man has died, said Paul, and your life is hidden with Christ. And so contrary to what Satan would have you to believe, God is not going to yell you out of heaven. But as David says at the end of verse 7, when you come to him in repentance and faith, he is going to surround you with shouts of deliverance. be sure the proverbial rush of great waters may come verse 6 but they'll never reach you indeed as our confession says if we had to appear before God relying no matter how little on ourselves or some other creatures in the last we would be swallowed up but David says you'll never be swallowed up when the rush of great waters come they will not reach you. But in Christ, God will keep you safe. David is saying, Christ will be your hiding place. He will preserve you and surround you with shouts of deliverance. This is what Satan, this is what the son does when we've given into sin and when Satan is accusing us, telling us of the guilt within, Christ surrounds us with shouts of deliverance and he overwhelms the, the voice of the evil one. Says, rebuke you. Rebuke you, O Satan. This congregation is who God is. Herein lies the grounds for our gladness, the reason for our rejoicing. That as we heard in our call to worship, God says to sinners, He says to you, He says to me, seek the Lord while He may be found, call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, let him repent, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For his thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are his ways our ways. God is not who Satan would have us to think he is. God is not like us, slow to forgive and slower still to forget. God is the exact opposite of us. He waits to be gracious. He is exalted to show mercy. And so we need to listen when he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. You see, when God forgives the sinner, he doesn't simply leave the sinner on his or her own. He doesn't just cancel the debt, but he also restores the fellowship. When God forgives a sinner, he promises to to walk with the sinner, to instruct and to teach the sinner in the way that he should go. He promises to counsel us with his fatherly eye upon us. Think of the picture of, of Hosea redeeming his wife, Gomer. After he buys her back, he says, I will teach you. No longer shall you play the harlot anymore. But I will teach you. I'll stay with you and walk with you and, and show you the way you should go. He promises to counsel us with his fatherly eye upon us. In other words, David knows that he does not face the future alone. But David knows that this God who forgives sins will be his Emmanuel, that God will be with him. God will be with him as a watchful father and so he says by the Spirit in verse 9, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with its bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. In other words, David is saying today, if you, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't, don't remain stubborn in your sins. But lift your eyes to the one who lifts the burden of your sins from off your shoulders. Be not like a horse or a mule. Don't harden your heart. Don't remain stubborn in your sin, the Savior says. If you're living in sin today, he says, don't harden your heart. Don't be like a horse or a mule. For many are the sorrows of the wicked. That's God's gracious warning to us. That's his gracious warning to the world. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. There's no joy for the wicked, no happiness for the wicked, for the unrepentant. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Beloved, we have every reason to rejoice, don't we? We have every reason to rejoice and be glad and we meditate upon the wonder of the gospel that God forgives sinners. If God's people in the Old Testament had reason to rejoice in this way, how much more reason don't don't we have today? Knowing that Christ has already come as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How much more than we have reason to rejoice on this side of the cross. Having heard the words of the Savior Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Let us cling to this foundation which is firm forever, giving all glory to God. Let us praise Him in other words. Let us humble ourselves and recognize ourselves as as we are. And let us lean and rest on the obedience of Christ, that obedience which is ours by faith. Indeed, if we had to appear before God, relying no no matter how little on ourselves, we would be swallowed up. But thanks be to God, we don't come before Him relying on ourselves. We don't have to do that. Because the death of Christ is more than enough to cover all our sins and to make us confident before the throne of God. As Hebrews 9 tells us, Christ has set our consciences free from the fear and dread and terror of God's approach. As Hebrews 10 says, we have confidence in Christ to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near confidently with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast our confession, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The great obstacle and and wall of our sin has been toppled over. It's been demolished. The steadfast covenant love of the Lord surrounds us. God's steadfast, covenant, faithful love surrounds us. Therefore, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Christ has become your hiding place. And so the hand that at one time laid heavily upon you, it becomes in Christ the hand that, that sustains and upholds you. Rather than feeling you must... Run away from him, David says. You can run right to him. He will not turn you away. Surely says Jesus, there is more joy and rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. God's forgiveness is yours. Christ's righteousness is yours. How blessed is he who's trespassed the Lord has freely forgiven whose sin is wholly covered before the sight of heaven. As we sing, the sorrows of the wicked in number shall abound. Those that trust Jehovah, his mercy shall surround. Then in the Lord be joyful. In song lift up your voice. Be glad in God, ye righteous. Rejoice, ye saints rejoice. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your eagerness to forgive us all our sins through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For we sincerely confess, O God, that we have all sinned against your majesty. And not only that, O Lord, but like David, we have also sinned against your mercy. Against you and you only have we sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Lord, we have sinned against you in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. And so, Father, we pray that your forgiving love would direct our eyes to the Savior in whom our sins have been lifted up and carried away. Father, we thank you that in him we have found a hiding place, a safe and secure place to hide and to seek refuge from the wrath that we know our sins deserve. And so cause us, O Lord, to take heed of David's words, to not be stubborn in our sins. Grant us the grace to listen to your voice and to rejoice with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray that you would do this for Jesus' sake as we pray in his name. Amen.